When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, May 18th. First and foremost, I do have to offer a formal apology to all of you Mini Break listeners. I am well aware we have not had a Mini Break podcast episode in over 10 days. Obviously, that is something we are looking to rectify here on today's show. And unfortunately for all of you pro tennis fans, we will not not be covering Rome here on today's show. Rest assured, though, I'm well aware of everything that's happening regarding the health of Iga Sviantek, an upset of Novak Djokovic, Rafa's press conference today. He's not playing the 2023 French Open. I suppose we could do a little pro tennis tangent at the end of this show, maybe do five minutes on everything happening in Rome. But the focus of today's podcast is going to be the focus of our craft. Rackets efforts here over the past month. Of course, here at CR, we have been all systems go in covering what we love to refer to as May Madness. The 2023 college tennis postseason, it has delivered some exceptional tennis thus far, and Wednesday was certainly no exception as we had our NCAA Division I women's team quarterfinal matches. Of course, it was such a thrill for our Crack Rackets team to be able to to broadcast all of the action from first ball to last. And sincerely, we said all sorts of records in terms of the numbers we got last night in our coverage of those quarterfinals. So to all of you Cracked Rackets fans, whether as a college tennis fan or just a more broad fan of tennis in general, we appreciate all of you who took the time to tune in, who took the time to offer feedback, who hopefully will plan to continue to tune in to our extended coverage, not just of Thursday's men's quarterfinals, Friday's men's and women's semifinals, but folks will have extended coverage of the NCAA individual events as well, whether it be Division One or Division Three. all of that action available on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. So if you are looking to find yourself some outstanding and free coverage of everything happening in the college tennis world, rest assured we have you covered over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. With that said, again, the agenda on today's show is to offer you recaps of everything that happened during last night's Division I Women's Quarterfinals. What a fantastic night of tennis. What a fantastic six and a half hours, seven hours. Anytime your broadcast is ending around midnight, anytime the only dinner option for me as the broadcaster is to head to McDonald's, that's how I know it's a damn good day of tennis. And joining me to help recap all of the madness is a man all of you listeners will know best as my co-host of the Deciding Point episodes on the GSP, where we typically recap all of the 
college tennis action. Of course, you may also know him as the returning champion of returning champions here at Cracked Rackets, the founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, and a man who I have to imagine enjoyed his day in the spotlight yesterday. There had to be a few people coming to kiss the ring of our dear friend, John J. Parsons, who joins me on the show once again. Jay, welcome to this mini break podcast. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I don't know if there was any kissing of the ring, but I had a few regulars who I normally <laughs> get to chat with that I was very excited to see in Orlando. It's always good to see people in person. It's one of the beauties of coming to these events. Uh, my, gosh, 13th NCAA final site since 2010. So always good to be back here. Yesterday was a fantastic day of tennis. So my favorite week on the calendar. So no complaints for me. Congrats to you. You're NCAA viewing career can be bar mitzvah now. Like it's officially. Bar, a man, I knew you were. Right? I knew you were going to yeah, go there. Thirteen years Good, because I always, I always wanted a bar mitzvah. I never got yeah. one. <laughs> Trust me, it's overrated. Um, I had <laughs> pneumonia during mine, so I only remember like bits and pieces of it. I remember coughing all over the Torah and being like, "You guys should burn this Torah. Like this Torah has full on pneumonia now. It's got to go." Um, and shout out to I suppose anyone who had to read from that section moving forward as well. But we're not going to talk Torah. We are going to talk NCAA quarterfinals. And of course, the reason we're able to do that here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. I was very happy to see my guy Nate Walrath here in the crowd at NCAAs. Great to see Tennis Point represented as they try to spread their tentacles as well as they are the premier provider of all equipment at the best prices in the tennis world and to have access to it all. All you got to do is go to tennis-point.com today. You can find the clothing. You can find the rackets. You can even find some non-tennis equipment, whether it be pickleball, whether it be paddle, whether it be padel. And I know paddle and padel are two different things. Let the record show. You can find both and everything you're looking for available on their website, tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. Again, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. John J. Parsons. I don't even know where to begin our breakdown of last night's quarterfinal action. You had all the twists, all the turns you would expect from an NCAA quarterfinal. You had everything, I suppose, but a weather delay. And it felt like we were going to get thunderstorms, certainly at the start of play, 4.35 p.m. It was just disgusting outside here in Orlando, somewhere between like 87, 92 degrees. You could just, I walked out of the hotel, took me 30 seconds to start sweating. Like I was so embarrassed and I'm walking around the grounds and I'm holding my backpack and I take my backpack off and someone, and <laughs> it was, I'm pretty sure it was Brian Calvis who goes, oh, a little sweaty, huh? And I was like, oh no, you guys can't <laughs> see this already. Like I had the full back schwitz going. All of that said, God, did it get beautiful as the night progressed. And some of you may have seen the photos of, you know, the sun setting and, you know, slowly gets to like 82 to, you know, 78 to 82 degrees. And before we get into any of the tennis, because this is a topic we've talked about before, Orlando as a final site. I know it was only day one, Jay. I know we've been here before, but I'm curious your your thoughts on like uh, the progression of the weather throughout the day. Like, I, I don't know. I really like this. I like it's, it seems weird, but then you get to that 8 p.m. hour, and I just can't imagine a better atmosphere for tennis than this. 
Yeah, I mean, some of those pictures of the sunset were beautiful. It was, you know, a beautiful night, right? I do think that it is calm. We did get some sprinkles, not enough to stop play there in those um, late matches. That's a concern. I feel like maybe the, a 7 p.m. start would be a little bit better just so we're not finishing at midnight. Uh, you know, you have these incredible four, three finishes happening at 1145. I don't know if that is ideal. But yeah, overall, the, the weather was was perfect at night. It does get hot in those at that 5 p.m. start. But typically about an hour and a half in, you know, midway through singles, it starts to cool down, some shade cover, sun going behind the clouds. So um, overall, it was a very tolerable day from the weather standpoint. <laughs> I like that. That's probably the best description. Tolerable indeed. No, I mean... There is something to just walking onto that USCA national campus, and it's just you are enveloped in all things tennis. Like, it's just there are courts everywhere. You've got padel. You've got paddle. You've got pickleball. You've got pros. You've got juniors. You've got adults. Now you've got the collegiate center rocking and rolling as well. You and I have talked often about should there be a super site the way there is for a softball, for a baseball in college tennis? And I know Athens, from a fan perspective, certainly has the the pedigree and the credibility to probably be the leader in the clubhouse. But from a tennis perspective, this is Nirvana. Like, this is the Disney World of tennis. And perhaps uh, not ironically, as it's located here in Lake Nona, right by Orlando, but it's just like... I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I have so many great memories here dating back to 2017. Shout out Club Tennis Nationals. I just love this place. Like, I really do love the national campus, Jay. There's a lot of great things about it, for sure. I'm not there yet. And I think this is a conversation maybe post NCAAs in terms of, um, you know, improvements that we can make here to make this the mecca of the NCAA championships. If that is to happen, have this be the final own only host site. There's a lot of changes though that need to happen. And I think there are a lot of benefits from potentially keeping this on a college campus. I am in no way married to uh, the national campus. Fair enough. And if you want to hear some of those proposed changes already, I know you and Ethan talked about some changes for the Super Regional on the No Ad, No Problem podcast. So you're right. We'll move that to the side. Just wanted to introduce that thought to you as we begin this NCAA tournament, because that's certainly that's been on the top of my mind. But God, let's get to yesterday's tennis because, boy, was it exciting. And we're going to go in reverse chronological order. We have to start with what, in my opinion, was the least expected but most dramatic, most exciting. And let's just be straightforward. It was our best match of the day. And it was between two new blood programs, as we like to refer to them here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, you have an NC State program that, yes, has made the quarterfinals the last three seasons, but those are the only three seasons they've made the quarterfinals in program history. And I don't need to regale you with all the details of what Simon Earnshaw has accomplished during his time at NC State. At this point, I assume many of you are well aware, winningest coach already in program history. You know, they were Iowa State before Iowa State was a thing. They were accomplishing all of these firsts, and you know they've accomplished so many that they really only have two firsts remaining, NCAA Finals appearance, NCAA team title. On the flip side, the best story. Listen to every coach we talk to in our press row. Listen to all these players you talk to on, off the record. The best story, maybe across Division I college tennis, men's or women's, has been the rise of this Iowa State program. And let's be honest— To make the quarterfinals coming out of Ames, Iowa, 
when you play your home matches at a high school. Like, I apologize if that comes off in a derogatory tone there, but like, that's ridiculous. That just doesn't happen in our sport. And of course, this Iowa State team goes to Miami in the opening kickoff weekend. They knock off UCLA. They knock off Miami. They reach their first final 16 at the indoors. They reach their first semifinals at the indoors. They host the first two rounds of NCAA play for the first time, reach and host the round of 16 for the first time. Now their first quarterfinal. I mean, again, new blood versus new blood. But let's be clear, given NC State's victory over UNC in the ACC final, given the fact that NC State was unblemished in this NCAA tournament coming into this quarterfinal round, you and I talked in our preview. NC State was the unequivocal favorite. And look, after they took a pretty decisive, not dominant, but decisive doubles point. They were up big at the number three spot, and you know Schneider Smith were never really in doubt at that number one spot either, despite the fact that Iowa State had match points at two. NC State takes a 1-0 lead. They then get an 0-0 win from Diana Schneider in about 22 minutes, something like that. The sort of win everyone imagined we'd be seeing from Schneider when we found out the top 100 player in the world was coming to play college tennis. After that, Jay, everything was a battle. And again, coming out of singles, each team takes three first sets. Iowa State able to protect their leads, getting wins at the number two, four, and five spot. For NC State, they were able to protect their lead at one, but Iowa State forces splits at three and six. It's 3-2 overall. It comes down to Dittman versus Kazuka at six, a match that goes NC State's way, 6-4 in the third. Then it comes down to Rejeki Kadlakova, which had so many turns before we even got to the final set. But of course, in the end, Rejeki 6-3 in the third from two love down in that third set. She clinches to send her team to their second semifinal in program history. Now, that was the synopsis of everything that's happened between these two teams, between these two programs all year long and in the match. There are nitty-gritty details we want to get to, though. And Jay, I turn to you first. What are some observations, in whatever order you'd like, from this match? Because God, was it a doozy. As was the monologue. (laughs) That was, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, it was worthy of what, it was an incredible match. And, you know, hats off to, to Iowa State for just the incredible season that they've had. I last night typified what we've seen all season long from this from this team, the fight, the heart, the enthusiasm. And that was one of my first observations is after doubles, I myself thought that this was going to be sort of a runaway match from NC State. In reflecting on that match, I got that same vibe from NC State. There was a level of confidence and cockiness that I felt like you know, was not representative of the severity and seriousness of the match. And that bit them, right? Iowa State came out with energy. They were screaming. They were giving commands. It was a little lackadaisical from NC State. It was not the performance I expected from. It's like they expected to win. They expected in that match and run away with it the same way maybe I ban. And that was particularly in these more seasoned positions, number two, fifth-year senior Alana Smith, Rancelli at four, Sophie Abrams at five. It was both a mix of, of, 
what I thought was overconfidence and then just failure to execute. Right. I think like Rancelli and Abrams, like unable to, to pull the trigger in, in their matches. Um, and Iowa state came out hot. That was really my first observation. The second one, and because it came down to this match in particular, it is worth noting that that tiebreak, Akova, there were a lot of overrules in that first set against Kodlakova that in the stands did not feel like the correct overrules. Mm-hmm. But for all, in that first set tiebreak, she gets overruled on a ball I definitely thought was wide. It's her third overrule of the first set, meaning she not only lost that point for being overruled to go down 4-5, she also gets a point penalty to go down 4-6. Obviously, that hurts. Rejecki gets up to the line, serves an ace, closes that tiebreak 7-4. Now, ultimately, these and two players... And that was the third first set for NC State. That's where I would just point out yes. why was that so critical, yes. because that was number three, and it was like, all right, we've weathered a little bit of this push. And the momentum was there for Iowa State because yes. they were they had taken the first set right next door with a uh, uh, Kajuru over Alana yes. Smith, and you felt the momentum from four and five just going Iowa State's way, mm-hmm. and so it was right there those first we could have had four first sets right, mm-hmm. and now it's not to say that that changed the outcome of the match by any means. Ultimately, Kadlakova and Rajeki had a full third set to play and decide this match, and and Rajeki won, but that felt like a critical point uh in that overall match mm-hmm. plus it's really hard to play a match with three overrules looming above you and like again i was oh, yeah. calling i'm calling from afar so i defer to you and you saw those overrules whether they were proper or not again i'm, I'm going to defer to you there but you know again you're absolutely right like from an execution standpoint you know Pete Kiram was under 500 Enter on the year entering this match for her to go get a straight set win over Renshelly, like, are you kidding me? It epitomizes everything this Iowa State program has been about this year, overcoming those long odds. And she didn't just beat Renshelly, like, there was never a doubt. There was never an opening for Renshelly. It was all Sopa Pete Kurama at four. You know, Abrams sort of woke up in the second set, but given how well she had been playing, like, you're right. God, did Cabezas just out-execute her in that first set. And it just felt like there was nothing Abrams could do to hurt Cabezas throughout the course of that match. And then, look, all year long, why is Iowa State where, where they are? Because Obi's been as good as anyone. Like, talk about the most underranked player in college tennis at 66. That's just wrong. That's just straight up yeah. wrong. Um, you know, Alana Smith was up a break in the second. Um and I do almost wonder, like, if the sco- if if Rejecki does drop that first set, does Smith end up taking the second? Do we just see a little bit more out of her at two? But, man, I don't know, because Obi had her. Like, Obi found the patterns. Obi had all—again, uh, Iowa State was just straight up better at two, four, and five. That's how you win three third-set matches. Now, on the flip side, for this NC State team— to get calloused up, to play a match like this on a day where Diana Schneider is firing on all cylinders. Like, 
to play the bad match. This is the one to win a national championship you have to escape from. Like, I think about all the matches over the years. I think about 2013, like, where Virginia Damajan escapes over Nate Pasha in that third set for Virginia to win 4-2 over Georgia. Like, that was the match where Georgia maybe should have gotten them, but Virginia found a way to win when not playing their best. And, like, if you're going to win a national championship, you got to find a way to win when not playing your best. You said it perfectly. I think NC State took their foot off the gas pedal after winning doubles. And, like, look, Rejecki had the clear weapons advantage. Kadlikova really couldn't hurt her. The depth of that Rejecki ball, Kadlikova with her big forehand backswing, the ball would just sit short after a while, and Rejecki would have her opportunity to attack. It's a lot easier said than done to say that that window was open there when it's 3-all, when it's a deciding third set. But, man, like... My biggest takeaway, I sent Jay a text midway through. I was like, no way is this going to happen. I was like, there's just no way this is going to happen right now. And credit to NC State, man. Iowa State had the tenacity. They had the edge. They had all the things you look for in an upset recipe. But in the end, NC State just had a little bit more left in the tank. And we got to give some credit to Gina Dittman, right? Like that 6-4 in the third win just quietly... That's the sweet, like her dropping that second set, but winning in three. Obviously, that's a little bit of everything, particularly at 2-3 on the scoreboard. Particularly, she was up big in that third set. All of a sudden, it's 5-4. You lost a deuce point at 5-3. Like, how many times have we seen someone get broken in that scenario, Jay? She didn't. I think NC State, I mean, here comes the no moment of the podcast here, the first one, but like, I think NC State has to play a match like this. Otherwise, I don't think they're winning the championship. I, I like I cannot stress enough I, how much how helpful I think this is, particularly given they have a day off and it's like, all right, let's reset because we can't play like that moving forward. Yeah, well, and that's the big takeaway, right? And to see if they can turn that into action will be what we're looking for in yeah. the semifinals, right? Because you can't walk into this event and. And think you're a sleepwalk your way into the final. Exactly. That's not. And you talked about the kind of the arcs of both of these programs. NC State was, you know, NC State before Oklahoma last year was Oklahoma before Iowa State was Iowa State this year. And now NC State, how many times has NC State played any match in any big moment where they're the favorite? Very rare in the arc of that program. They were the favorite last night and they did not play that role well at all. And so they need to react differently in that semifinal. And they need, if they can take this match and say, wow, we got to go out every match like we did against UNC in the ACC final. Otherwise, we're going to lose and we're not going to win this title. And that's the big takeaway for them. It'll just be a question of if they can turn that into action in the semifinal. 100% agreed. Again, I like quietly Simon Earnshaw woke up this morning and his first thing was crossing himself saying, thank God we won that match because God would it have been a disaster. Uh, But I think the other thing is, oh my God, like now everything I'm going to say to my girls is just going to get through a little bit easier because it's like, hey, you just saw you can lose. And Iowa State, final word, I guess, on them. God, what a year. What a story. And I guess my (laughs) – Do you think we see Boomer at Iowa State next year? Do you think just like any job opening, obviously his name's going to get associated with it. I mean, just final thoughts on this match, on this Iowa State arc, because you're absolutely right. It's just been special. It's been incredibly special. I mean, again, last night really typified what we've seen all season from them. Uh, I mean, 
the, the, the limited resources that they have, what they've been able to put together has been just so special. And it's so exciting to see this more and more in college tennis, right? You talked about NC State. I mean, you talked about Oklahoma last year. Those runs give these other programs the belief. And you you talked, you know, Boomer talked about that in his interview with you, talking about last season. He wasn't sure that his team actually had the belief that they could go out and beat a Texas. And this year they do. And as more and more of these programs do, the more and more that belief seeps into other teams across the country. And we'll start to see more runs like this. It's been incredible. Incredibly special. It is awesome to see. Uh, and I look forward to seeing what this Iowa State program does, whether or not Boomer is there. I mean, he, again, he'd be top of the list at, at any of these openings right now. He was pretty adamant in his interview with you that he is staying for the long haul. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. The thing is, if I'm him, I'm begging Kenna to come with me. Because, like, they're just such a fun duo to watch coach together and the energy they have together. That's the thing, though. If I'm Iowa State, if Boomer leaves, I'm like, Kenna, congratulations. You're now the head coach. Like, don't even take an interview anywhere else. Like, it's an immediate elevation for me there. And we're talking about hypotheticals here. I just – there's an energy about them. They, it's, it's exactly what we saw. You mentioned it with Oklahoma last year where they just fight and they just have that edge. And – you hear the cyclone roars up and down the fan section. You also heard some pack roars up and down as well. This was a really fun match between two on-the-rise programs. And yeah, NC State now into the semifinal to set up the prototypical New Blood versus Blue Blood matchup. And there was a moment where I texted Jay where I said, no f***ing way is this Stanford team just going to coast to another final seemingly out of nowhere. And of course, for those that don't know this Stanford program, why I'm introducing these arcs, Jay, is because we're on the mini break. So some of these listeners may not be as finely attuned to all things college tennis. Stanford's the premier program. I said this on the broadcast yesterday. There's been no player in Stanford women's tennis program history who stayed for four years who didn't win a national championship, which, by the way, is just nuts. Like, that is a crazy factoid and should be on posters everywhere around the Stanford campus. But look, this is a Stanford team that had not been in the final site since 2019, since they won their last national championship. And as such, no member of this Stanford... Uh, was Sarah Choi on the 2019 team? She was. No no yes. four-year member of this team. Sarah Choi's a fifth year. No four-year member of this team had been a part of those national championship or even round of 16 or, quarter, or excuse me, quarterfinal runs because they made the round of 16 finals. last yeah. year. Yeah, no quarterfinal runs. No final sites is what I wanted to say because they didn't make that final site in Orlando in 2021. And yet, if you watched the Cardinal play yesterday, taking on an A&M team, that was 62 or 63-4 and four over their last two years going into that match, a team that had reached the NCAA quarterfinals last season as well. If you watched the match unfold, you would have thought this Stanford team was no different than any other Stanford team of years past. And I got to give you all sorts of credit here, Jay. In our preview, you said this Stanford team is better at doubles than many of Stanford teams you had seen in the past. Well, we saw that on display from this Stanford squad who all year long, it's been the one in three spots. Once again, it's the one in three spot. Ma and Shu dominant 6-2 performance at three. Now, Stoyana and Kupras were equally dominant 6-2 at two. 
And the match at one was funky. You know, Goldsmith, Ewing, go up a break, two love. Then there's not a single other hold of serve until four all in that set. Ultimately, then, Blake Blokina get that break for 5-4. They hold for 6-4. They take the doubles point. From there, five first sets for Stanford, including from 5-3 down. Connie Ma flips things for a 7-5 set at 2 I mean, from there, we're playing the waiting game. And whether it's, you know, again, the fact that Alexis Blokina actually beats J.C. Goldsmith in three sets at four, whether it's Angelica Blake doing what she's done all season long at three, getting a win over Cooperus, or Valencia Shu, who was down a break, three love early in that second set, 6-3, 6-4, she's over Smetanikov. To me, Jay, this was the second most surprising result of the day because I hadn't seen this level from the Stanford Cardinal since 2019. Like, I'll be honest, they just haven't looked like Stanford in a couple of years. This is the first time in my life, and that's why I texted you where I was like, oh, this is what Stanford women's tennis is supposed to look like. Jay, you're the Stanford whisperer. This was a hell of a performance. Yeah, this was the most dominant performance of the day, right? And this was points away from being 6-0 with Yepa Finova and Stoyana, you know, one all in the first set. This could have been 7-0 or 6-1 performance over the number two seed in Texas A&M. Texas A&M team who you mentioned their record. They were undefeated in the SEC regular season, made the SEC finals. This is an extremely dominant performance from Stanford, and they are clicking in all positions right now. And the two that had been in doubt coming into this tournament were Connie Ma at number two, the NCAA singles finalist from last year, has not been at her best this season, and freshman Alexis Blokina, who has been fairly volatile in her freshman debut. Both of them seem to be playing better tennis here in Orlando. Everyone else for this Stanford squad playing their best tennis of their careers. And you saw that on full display here against Texas A&M. There is not a weak spot in this Stanford lineup. Maybe the weakest spot is number two doubles, right? You talked about one and three doubles looking strong, but top to bottom, this is a Stanford squad that looked confident, played confident, and despite having a ton of inexperience in these matches, right? This Texas A&M team was in the quarterfinal last year. This Stanford team hasn't made a quarterfinal since 2019. Almost all these players never been here before. So a really impressive performance for them. I did not expect this to be as uh, thorough of a performance. That's exactly the word. It was thorough. Like, it was just comprehensive. It was everywhere. And I I will say, there was like a a four-minute window where – and excluding doubles, where Goldsmith takes the second set, where Smetanikov's up three love in the second on on five, where I think Morales was up an early break on Choi, and you know again with Kupris, who or Stoyan, excuse me, who I think was up a set in five four. Ewing was also up five three in that first set, so there was like a a four minute, four to ten minute window where you thought, okay. Here comes AM. Like, they're not going to roll over. There's going to be an AM push. There's going to be a couple of three set battles. Like, this match isn't going anywhere. But I don't think AM rolled over, Jay. I think Stanford closed the door on them. And you were watching in person, so you had the vibe of the energy more than I did. Did it ever feel like there was an AM push? Because, again, you said it. It just kind of felt like Stanford, after they took that doubles point, it was like, all right, well, if you're not beating us at doubles, we are crushing you today. Yeah, I mean, 
it never really got to that point where you felt a momentum shift. I think, you know, uh, Salma Ewing being up at 5-2 or 5-3 in that first set, it was kind of like, man, Connie has not turned her form around. But then on the flip side, you had Blockina taking the first set over Goldsmith, which was, was the must-win match for AM, the number one match they had to win. So it, it never really felt that way, but you thought maybe Stoyana, Salma, but the path to four was never clear. And it was never even within a long putt distance. And so I would say mid to late first sets, maybe it was still in question. But after the five first sets, I mean, it really didn't feel like um, there was there was much of a route. And you saw a lot of people start to move over to the NC State, Iowa State section. When Morales lost that first set 7-6 to Choi, it was almost like pack the bag, start the plane. Like, all due respect, but Stanford's got gotcha. you. And, yeah, like doubles in five first sets against an A&M team that had lost twice all year long. And, by the way, those two losses were to two of the semifinalists that had already clinched earlier in the day. Like, if you're A&M, that is the takeaway is you lost three matches this year. All three of those opponents are in the semifinals. Two of those losses came without All-American Carson Brandstein. And it's the biggest what-if of this season. If Brandstein's healthy, what happens to this A&M team? Because we were there at the National Indoors. I don't want to say NC State hasn't risen to that level, but there's no doubt A&M was on the UNC level at the Indoors. And it's such a shame because this group over the past... (laughs) If you play out the past, Jay, I'm changing the framing. This is a classic, a GSP staple for college tennis fans. They'll know that I say if we played the 2022 college uh, NCAAs 100 times, A&M's coming away with at least one title. If we play out the past two years 50 times, I really do think A&M walks away with a title in at least one of those two years in one of those scenarios. There's a year where Brandstein doesn't get hurt or last year Makarova doesn't cramp in the second set, whatever it may be. Um, But man, like what a win for Stanford. I I don't know. Final thoughts on this match go to you. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough end for Texas A&M. Two straight losses in the quarterfinal. It does feel like the cards kind of break against them, right? I mean, last cards, year going indoors hey, against Oklahoma. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're the Cardinal, not Cardinals. <laughs> but uh, some of us on the podcast get that confused. But uh, I mean, going indoors <laughs> last year for Texas A&M, that was a rough, uh, a rough hand for them. In terms of the draw, right? It couldn't have gotten a worse draw playing Stanford, uh, given the form. So it's tough for Texas A&M, but they're not going anywhere, right? They have established themselves as a top-tier program in women's college tennis, and um, you know we'll be seeing more of them, absolutely. Absolutely. Perfectly put. By the way, it just popped back in my brain. I meant to say this earlier. Don't think it slipped by me that you said you had a couple of regulars you were talking with at the NCAAs. Like, talk about a great one-liner. I love that you have regulars in year 13 on the job. <laughs> like, that's just... That puts a smile on my face, and I'll tell you what, it's only my third consecutive year, but like, I can identify UNC crowd members. I, I actually think it's my job. I'm like, I know who you are. I know who you are. You're a parent. You're a grandparent. Oh, it's the Calvises. <laughs> um, and so, again, yeah. I was going to say the, uh, the Scotty aunts travel yeah. <laughs> very well as well. <laughs> Team Scotty. That's true. They yes. roll out in force. There's they no do. doubt they about do. that. And speaking of Team Scotty, now we can get to Scotty's team. The UNC Tar Heels, number one overall seeds for the third consecutive season. They were taken on two-time defending national champions, Texas. And look, there's just 
a looseness to this Texas team. They play freely in May in a way that just few other programs seem to be able to capture. And it was that exact ethos we saw from the start from this Texas program who, look, when you're taking on, as I like to call them, the cast of the Avengers, which is the UNC singles lineup, you have to take doubles because it's going to be damn near impossible to find four singles victories against this Tar Heel squad. Well, for what it's worth, for the second straight match, North Carolina drops the doubles point. And credit to Texas, whether it was Kieran and Rapalu, 6-4 over a Brantmire and Tran team, I thought was so good against Florida. Did not see that result coming. But I'll tell you what, I also didn't see the two doubles result coming, particularly given Pachkaleva, Rivkin had been the most successful doubles team for Texas all season long. And yet, Scotty, Tangillig, they take it to Texas at that number two spot, 6-2 overall. It comes down to court number one where, look, Shavatapan and Zainalova were up a break for pretty much the duration of the set. Now, credit to Crawley, Forbes, they get the break back for 5-all, or 4-5, hold for 5-all. Crawley broken in her 5-6 service game. Texas takes the doubles point with that 7-5 win at 1. But, as the Tar Heels did against Florida, they respond in singles. And look, Scotty, who ultimately drops her first set six, uh, 7-6, she races out to a 4-love lead. That was critical because not only did you have 4-love Scotty, you had 6-2 Brantmire, you had 6-1 Crawley, you had 6-2 Tran in about 22 minutes at 5, and then you had the big one, Yarlagata, 6-4 over Rapalu on court number 6. Now, credit to Sabina Zainalova. We said coming into the match, the sophomore had to beat fellow sophomore Carson Tangillic at three. She does her part, and it's another, you know, first two years for Sabina Zainalova. They hold up against just about any other college player's first two years over the past decade. Hell of a win for Zainalova to make it two love, but or 2-1 maybe, but then all the dominoes start to fall. Tran in straight sets, you know, uh, Brantmeyer in straight sets after her and Kieran. She was down an early break, I should say, to Nicole Kieran in the second set. You know, you had uh, Fiona. Well, I, to me, I saw Yarlagata win the point first and then Crawley. So, again, the cameras were a little bit off there. But, look, across the board after taking those first sets, UNC was down breaks in the second sets on one on two, on six. They come back on all three courts, perhaps most impressively Crawley from a 5-2 breakdown to take that 7-5 win at two. Now, she was not the formal clinch. It was Yarla Glada who, according to the records, clinched 6-4, Again, And reality. Jay, I saw it. Okay, yeah. So I was going to say, Jay, I defer to you because you were on <laughs> yes. the ground. What happened? Yeah. Your reaction to how the heels responded to dropping that doubles point? Well, first, just on the doubles point, right? We okay. you, you call these doubles pairs, the reimagined doubles yeah. pairings, but and um, they were reimagined from a nightmare or something. I mean, these are not working for North Carolina right now. Scotty and Tangillig are an excellent pair at two. They really are. I mean, Scotty, you know, twenty twenty one NCAA doubles champion, uh, and T- Tangillig just a great hands, great volleys, a good serve. I mean, they're a great pair. But other than that, I think. North Carolina could struggle with doubles and that is giving teams some, a lifeline, right? Because no one is going to beat North Carolina in four singles. I mean, maybe NC state, but I don't really see it happening right now. So that was a good response from them. It was similar to what we saw with Florida where they came out very strong. 
Um, Sabina Zainalova of Texas, just a note on her. You talked about her two seasons on court have been incredibly impressive off court as well. She's one of the players I'm most inspired by and impressed by coming in as a freshman from Ukraine. She's been very vocal about what that experience has been like uh, with the war on Ukraine over these past two years. She's also been vocal uh, about her, you know, challenges and recovery with an eating disorder and to see her have so much success this year. It's a testament to the player and the person that she is. So I've been really impressed with her and she gets a really good win over Carson Tangillig. She's a great matchup for Tangillig. She can do so many different things. Um, and that was critical for Texas to get that win on the board. And there was a moment there after Scotty lost that first set where you said, okay, Zaynalova is going to win. If Pachkaleva wins, they need to find one more. And it's either going to come from a rebound from Shavathapan at two who at that point in time was that up 5-2 in that second set. Just a single break, but 5-2, it's worth noting. Yep. Yeah, and ultimately, North Carolina shut the door, right? Yarla Garden never let Rapalu get any looks in that second set, which was huge, didn't extend that second set. And look, McCrawley, the number one player in the country, you're only going to get so many looks. Shavathban did have a set point, but, you know, Crawley reels off, what, five straight games to to close out that match. So North Carolina looked extremely strong in singles, although I will say of all the teams that I saw yesterday, North Carolina looked the most banged up. You know, Scotty took a medical timeout after that first set. Yarlagata constantly had the trainer out there for her shoulder. It was something to note, um, but ultimately I thought they looked Decent, I wouldn't say overly strong uh, in their kind of quarterfinal debut, but look strong. I mean, it's their fourth straight NCAA semifinal performance. They are perennially a factor here. Um, and they look the part. Yeah, they're a Tar Heel blue blood. Like, there's no doubt about that. And I do think we just raced through it. God, is Riley Tran playing some good ball right now? Like, if UNC wins a national mm-hmm. championship, I think it's because Riley Tran's playing the best tennis of her career. And just, like, the movement, the creativity, the things she can do, the angles she can find, she took it to Rivkin. Like, absolutely took it to Rivkin at five. And that was the no-nonsense sort of like, all right, let's relax. It's one all on the scoreboard. Quick point. Don't yeah. worry about Carson Sabina. I got this. And, you know, again— Two more questions for you on this match, and then we can move on. Brantmeyer Crawley won two. Obviously, that was a late lineup switch. I actually think the weapons of Brantmeyer belong more on court, number one. Like, I actually think game style-wise, I know it took them four and a half months to get there, but, like, I actually think that's the right lineup choice. Brantmeyer at one, Crawley at two. Now, you saw it in person. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Brett Meyer has huge weapons, right? Yeah. Those weapons misfire often, unlike sure. a Crawley. But look, I mean, that lineup change was first was for two reasons. One, Liam Ma, two, Diana Schneider, right? <laughs> Fiona Crawley, uh, Fiona Crawley had, had, I mean, Fiona Crawley had lost to Liam Ma earlier this season. Georgia's number one. She lost to Diana Schneider, uh, NC State's number one. Her two losses of the year. Brees Brett Meyer has also lost to Georgia's Dasha Vidmanova, right? So Brees Brantmeyer ultimately is a better matchup for Diana Schneider. Mm-hmm. What Diana Schneider doesn't like is the kind of cat and mouse, you know, drop shot, you know, Chloe Beck coming to me at net. Like, I don't like that. I want to sit, sit back and kind of lean into my forehand. So I don't think there's much margin really between 
Brantmire and Crawley. So it makes a lot of sense to have Brantmire at one and Crawley at two for those two matches, which they are expecting to play in the semifinals and finals. So you're saying slice and dice. You're saying Tran should be at one. Is that your take here, Stephen A.? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I'm just I mean, kidding. no, I was, you know, that was yeah, just a throwaway. But go ahead. Yeah, no, well, but what do you I mean, I do Forbes think thing just quickly because that was going to be the follow up. There is they pull Forbes again. What's your what's your thoughts there? I mean, it's the same thoughts I gave on the Florida lineup, sure. right? Like you can't convince me Abby Forbes is their third best player, which they tried to do in the lineup <laughs> and then pull her every time. Yeah, uh, I'm giggling because so, I mean, you're right. Like, it's the same argument. It's uh, not it's not unfair to make. Yeah, I, I mean, so uh, yeah. I think the lineup is better without Abby in the lineup. All right, there's your answer then. Um, yeah, look, Tangillig, they were playing a little cat and mouse break fest in the second set. I don't know if she's banged up. I, I mean, again, it's been a long season for all of these players, but it's clear Carson's just not playing her best tennis right now to end the stretch. But credit to Zainalova. Again, it was a perfect matchup there. Look, Tar Heels 4-2, more broadly, after taking that punch in the face from Texas, they immediately responded. And it's the second straight match where they did drop doubles, get four straight set victories. It sounds like perhaps more than any other team, they will be more than thrilled to have that day off now between the quarterfinals and the semifinals. Jay, any final thoughts on this one? Are you ready to move on? No, I mean, you know, it's been a fun run for Texas, right? They hadn't lost in the NCAA tournament since 2019. Uh, it's it's good, good to see them back at the top of women's tennis. And, uh, and North Carolina just year in, year out, so impressive to be able to. Four straight semifinals is just a testament to the consistency of that program. Not easy to do. Absolutely. Well said. And now, of course, for Carolina, they'll get their third matchup of the season with Georgia UGA, the national indoor finalists, ultimately earning what was a 4-0 win in name only, let's be honest, over Michigan in the semifinals. And look, there's a lot of different inflection points you could turn to, whether it was the fact that Lily Jones, Julia Fligner were up for love in that set at number two doubles. They ultimately drop a 7-6 set, which along with a Ma Kowalski 6-1 win at three gives Georgia the doubles point. Look again, Jaden Brown's up an early break in the first and, you know, their breakers on courts, uh, I believe, three, five, and six simultaneously. You know, Fligner, Riasco, Kowalski, Lily Jones, Mesa Grant, all of them go to first set breakers. In the end, though, everything breaks this Georgia team's way. Georgia takes six first sets in singles as well. And look, while Leah Ma, up 6-0-4-2, has to call an injury timeout, something happened with her knee. Kari Miller then up three love in the third when the match is abandoned. Similarly, Vidmanova had some cramping issues down the home stretch. It's a 6-1 second set for Jaden Brown. One all in the third when the match ends there. Similarly, you can bet against Gala Mesa-Chirito when she lost that first set 7-6. Jay, how many times have we seen her all season be in this position? Like, that match wasn't going anywhere. You also had Lily Jones up 5-2 in the second set on Kowalski at 5. You had uh, Andrea Serdan up a break early in that second set on Lapata. Yet in the end, it's Riasco, it's Lapata, it's Kowalski. Straight set wins at 3, 4, and 5. Again, I don't know how... This Georgia team won this match for OJ, but that they did is a testament to the fact that this group has been calloused up. This group is experienced. This is a hell of a win for this Georgia team. Yeah, it is. 
uh, you know, there's one shot in this match that sticks out to me, and that is the match point lob in that doubles tiebreak that Fliegner and Jones, either one of them would have had an overhead on, and they just let it go, drops mid-center. They both kind of look at each other, both thought the other had it, and there's both kind of just what just happened. And such a tough ending for that doubles tiebreak, but that really typified the match because Michigan had a ton of opportunities. And if that doubles tiebreak went the way of the Wolverines, I think Michigan wins this match because Kari Miller was going to win on one. Jaden Brown was going to win on two and Mesa down the set, but starting to come back. That's where she likes all of her opponents. That would have been enough for Michigan to get the win. I will say, I mean, Georgia, I feel is, lucky to have closed this match when they did because if it had gone any longer things were going to turn and yeah i mean again it felt like the experience this georgia team has the belief that they have on being a top team was what was able to get them to close the door on this michigan team but michigan had a lot of opportunities this match i felt was more about michigan's lack of missed opportunities and it really was I mean, Georgia just built themselves too big of a lead. That lead was evaporating quickly, just not quickly enough for the Wolverines. Yeah, I, I think that's really well said. Like, if you see that doubles point goes the way of Michigan, just the confidence they bring from there. And look, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this because by you, I can already hear you yelling at me that, like, don't sacrifice the now for the future. But I swear to God, Jay, this is the match you lose in 2023 to win it in 2024 like they're not going to feel that right now but this is the best possible thing that could have happened to this Michigan group not the best possible thing the best possible thing is you go undefeated and you win the national championship this year but the best possible thing for this group is to lose that match in this fashion and to instill that belief we're now all off season long you go look we got tight like there's no other way to say it it was so evident across the board and guess what Julia Fleener is a sophomore Lily Jones is a freshman. All of these players, I know Miller, Brown, Mesa they're juniors, but they had never been in this sort of scenario before. Yes, they reached the round of 16 and played Pepperdine in 2021, but that match was a formality more than anything else for that Pepperdine roster. And now if you're this Michigan team, 25 wins this year, you have been in the thick of the hunt. I think more than anything else, you now circle this team at the national indoors next year and you say, holy crap, like how good can Michigan do there? Because they, you're absolutely right. Like they were as good as Georgia. I'll say on all six courts. Like I really do think Serdan had her moments against Lapata as well. And this is another match you wonder if this is the night session and not the day session. And it's just a little bit cooler. And the conditions are a little more Michigan friendly. Like, I do wonder if that on the margins makes the difference. But the thing I keep coming back to is that no, and you epitomize it with that overhead in between, where it's just more than anything else. I think this comes down to Georgia's been here before, Michigan hasn't. And that's not to take away this Georgia performance. But again, that's my takeaway. Like, Michigan loses this match this year to win it next season, Jay, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, Georgia has been in these bigger moments before, right? You have a Meg Kowalski, the fifth year on this Georgia team, who had played in the national championship match in 2019. So she brings that experience to this squad. And, you know, you know, Vidmanova is only a sophomore and they didn't make it to the final site last year, but has played in these big, you know, SEC tournament matches. And it just, there's a more big match experience playing in front of more fans there uh, at Georgia. And it felt like Michigan was not playing as freely in those big moments as maybe Georgia did. I don't know if playing in the later match would have helped. I actually think Georgia looked like they struggled with the conditions much more than Michigan did. I thought Liam Ma, I mean, Vidmanova cramping, that's now become a consistent theme for her, right? She cramped in the SEC semifinals. She cramped yesterday in the quarterfinal match. So I don't know if that would help. I think ultimately Michigan just wasn't going for their shots in those big moments. And Georgia has enough talent and know-how to to get it done. And it's funny because we've talked all season long about Georgia's top three in Liam Ma, Vimanova, and Riasco. And I was most impressed yesterday by Gigi Grant. And obviously we know what we're getting with Kowalski, but Gigi Grant, someone that, you know, we maybe didn't think we were going to see at number six with Anya Hurdle out of the lineup. And she's been a she's been clutch for them, you know at six, particularly down the home stretch. So that's some added confidence for them. They might not need to rely on kind of a sweeping of the top three because they have a Kowalski and a, and a Gigi Grant down at six. Yeah, no, I, they're good. Like, George is just straight up good. And I really do think that's the best match I've seen for Mel Riasco in a little bit of time. Like, just, she wasn't just moving well. She was moving the ball on Julia Fliegner really well to where, again, that high and heavy lefty forehand deep into that mm-hmm. corner it's going to give Carson Tan Gillig all sorts of issues in the semifinals, just in like that deep ball into the backhand. Like that is a matchup I think Georgia has to win now. Meanwhile, I think Kowalski's now won 14 straight. And she's like, not just 14 straight, Jay, she's won 11 consecutive decisions, which if that doesn't make sense in co- for co- non-college tennis fans, you know, you don't complete every match you played when it's played a clinch-clinch format. And yet in the last 11 matches Kowalski's played, she's put a singles point on the board in every match for Georgia. That's a fifth year going out on the job in the proper fashion. It's a different sort of challenge in taking on Riley Tran in the semifinals, but Jay, final thoughts on this match? Yeah, well, I was just going to add, Kowalski's game style does not, uh, you would not think she would be able to complete her matches necessarily in time. She's a counterpuncher, going to grind down there. But yeah, overall, I think Georgia's happy to get this through the matter. I think both, I think Georgia's very happy to have a day off. I think they need some rest. Um, And I'd like to see them get up more for this North Carolina match, which they should because they've lost twice to North Carolina this season. Mm-hmm. No, perfectly put. I agree. And I, with that in mind, let's get into it, Jay. Semi-final previews now. Both of these match matches not happening, excuse me, until 5 p.m. on Friday. I believe we will have the Stanford-NC State match on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. UNC Georgia, of course, going to be available on Tennis Channel. Let's do UNC Georgia first because, of course, this is the third time this season we've seen this matchup. UNC 5-2 win over Georgia in the regular season, 4-0 win over Georgia in the national indoor final. Thoughts on this matchup? Keys for each team. Yeah, I mean, I think the right way to do this is to talk about from the underdog perspective, sure. right? Um, because there potentially are more pathways for the favorite in North Carolina. Um, I, I expect we will see no, a, a 
uh, a better North Carolina doubles point given their past, you know, two challenges. Um, and this has been something that Georgia has struggled with all season long, but they have new pairings now and they're starting to play a lot better. They haven't dropped a doubles point in a few matches. Uh, it starts with doubles for Georgia. They have to get that doubles point. They have to put up a 1-0 lead. And then if they only need three singles matches, it needs to be Mel Riasco at number three over Carson Tangillig. It has to be Meg Kowalski over a likely Riley Tran. And it then it either needs to be number four, Lopata over Elizabeth Scotty, although I'm not sure Elizabeth Scotty will play. Uh, and then Gigi Grant over a Annika Yarlagata. Yeah. I do not see Georgia. I know that Georgia's gotten wins at the top of the lineup each time they have played North Carolina. I do not see that happening on Friday. Look, given how beatable UNC's been in doubles these past two weeks, like you absolutely have to put that point on the board if you're Georgia. You're not winning four singles matches against this UNC team. I'm sorry. I don't care how banged up they are or appear to be. Like That's just an impossible task. To your point, I agree. Gigi Grant's been really good at the sixth spot down the season's home stretch, and she has the weapons, plays with the sort of aggression that can make Yarlagata uncomfortable, that won't allow Yarlagata to be hitting that inside-in backhand on the rise, which might be like... I think that's the best shot in her arsenal, and I think she's like the only one in college tennis who hits a deuce side, inside, in, backhand. Like, she just loves it, and shout out to me for feeding her those backhands all those years. Uh, that's just what we do in West Bloomfield. Um, I agree. I think that's a point. I think Riasco versus Tan Gillig, again, has to be a point just given Carson's struggles. Do they pull Forbes or not? That's the question. If they don't pull Forbes... I mean, Kowalski versus Tran is. I mean, Kowalski versus Tran. Excuse me. If they don't pull Forbes, Kowalski versus Scotty is a great contrast of style. If they do pull Tran, Kowalski versus uh, pull Forbes, Kowalski versus Tran is three hours. Start the clock now. Um, could Vidmanova beat? I Crawley? think they absolutely. Like, can Ma beat Brantmeyer? Absolutely on the right day. I don't know, Jay. It, it's really good matches everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I just don't see it happening for Leah Ma or Vibinova based on what I saw in the quarterfinals. Okay. That could totally change, right? But, you know, and, you know, as I said, North Carolina's lineup is designed to beat this Georgia team at one and two. And I think that's likely going to happen. I do think uh, I would, if I, and again, I, I call it the pulling of the Forbes. I think Forbes will be back in the lineup at four. I think Scotty will be pulled. So I think it will be Forbes, Tran, and Yarlagata. And um, yeah, I, it, if you're Georgia and you only need to find three, I mean, three, five, and six. Yeah. On the flip side, if you're UNC, I mean, I think if you're UNC, you can make a case that you can win every match. Like, again, you've Yeah, and, and that's why you do it from the underdog's yeah. perspective, right? Because if you're North Carolina, like, roll the balls out. We can win on every court. Yeah, let's just play. About it. Exactly. Yeah. Let's just play this match. Give us 24 hours to rest, and then we're going to come play this yep. match. And by the way, UNC's beaten Georgia twice already this season, mm -hmm. and neither match particularly close either. I mean, that's not true. The February 1st match was a little bit close, um, but the national It was, indoors, yeah. The national indoors one was not. Jay. We were both there, and that was the real championship match was the semifinals, not the final there for UNC. And so I also wonder for UNC group, this group in particular has not been to the final together. 
How helpful is it to have Georgia as your opponent? Someone you know so well. Someone where you don't have to speculate. Where it's like, we've seen this matchup. We've seen this team. We know the matchups. We've beaten this team before. Given the nerves of the moment, I actually think that's a massive advantage for UNC to get to face an opponent they know as opposed to a Stanford or an NC State. Any final thoughts? Are you ready to move on to semifinal two? You want to give me a pick, by the way? Yeah, uh, I will go North Carolina. I think they will make their first uh, uh, NCAA final in about, what, 10 years? Since what? Um, When's the last so, one they made was 15? 14? Uh, 14 was UCLA-UNC. Yeah, because that was right. Loeb Carter, right? Yep. That's the 14 yep. team. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah. So, what, nine years. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I will go North Carolina. I think they will uh, win this match. I think you made a really good point about the nerves. Just the familiarity with this team, I think, will quell some of those nerves. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun oh, matchup. Yeah, oh, so pick, please. No, pick North, North Carolina. Pick North Carolina 4-2. All right, there it is. Who's clinching? Just give me a random clinch. Mm, Y'all got him. I like it. By the way, we were correct. Shout out to our memories. John J. Parsons exactly identifying 2014, the last time North Carolina reached the NCAA championship, where again, they were knocked out 4-3 by UCLA. All right. That's semifinal one. Respectfully, it is not the most intriguing semifinal, and we're very fortunate that we're going to get that on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Stanford, NC State. Stanford is the underdog, given the the body of work we've seen from each of these teams this year, Jay, but like... They're also the team that's playing best through one match in Orlando. So I ask you, the pathway, the calculus, what do you see for this Sanford team to knock off this NC State squad? Well, it's always fun when you have two teams that, that feel like the underdog going into this match sure. and don't need to manufacture that, right? You have a lot of times you might need to pretend you're the underdog, but like you're really not. And it's just helpful for your, your mentality. Uh, look, I think... For NC State, their calculus against any team here in Orlando is doubles and Schneider to go up 2-0. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a likely calculus against Stanford. I think despite Stanford's doubles looking strong, NC State, I think, is on a different level. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that NC State takes doubles and Diana Schneider at one over Yepa Finova. Now, that means Stanford needs to find four of the bottom five. Mm-hmm. Can they do it? Absolutely. Uh, I do think that Angelica Blake is playing some of the best tennis we've seen at number three. I think she can beat Rejecki at three. I think absolutely. uh, I would say Stanford is favored at four and five based off of what we saw in the quarterfinals. I think Alexis Blokina is playing the tennis we thought we would see from her all season long. Valencia Shu has had an incredible stretch of matches here in the NCAA tournament. I like Stanford at four and five and ultimately Fifth year Sarah Troy, who has played in a national championship before over a Gina Dittman, who has been very solid for NC State, does not have that level of experience. I think it's very possible that Stanford sweeps three through six to win this match. That's a take. Now we're talking. Um, Look, the weapons between Rejecki and Blake on court number three joke like you're seeing pro tennis at that number three spot two players who are going to take their chances who are going to look to see ball hit ball big you're right the way Blake Blake's just a little more fluid in everything she does and that's why as good as Rejecki has been you probably do lean Blake in that matchup I mean even at two though like are you going to pick against Connie Ma like especially Alana Smith did not have the greatest quarterfinal Ma is Connie freaking Ma 
You're right. It's toss-ups everywhere. Now, I'm not willing to write off the Sophie Abrams that we saw the past month based off of that poor quarterfinal performance. I just think she got punched out of the fa- in the face coming out of the gate and was never able to recover. I think she'll be much better on Friday. You keep in mind, at me. though. Yeah. yeah, keep in mind, she lost four straight matches in April. That's and true. we saw her turn it around at the end of this season. But who... What Sophie Abrams shows up, and the one that lost four straight matches showed up in the quarterfinal. Who shows up in the semifinal? This is a very fair point by you, and, Jay Parsons. And, and and Valencia Shoe, I mean, the win over Gonzalez, the wins over, over Berezniak, the wins over Smetnikov, all in straight sets. There's no one at five playing better tennis than Valencia Shoe right now. It's a good argument to make. Uh, look, like, here's the thing, though. Are you get, like, what are the two points you feel most confident about? And I actually think it's NC State in doubles and Schneider at one. And it's like... No, absolutely. Yeah, that's what makes this such a fascinating match is that there is no clear-cut favorites. Because again, Renchelli beat Emma Navarro. Like, we know what her top level is capable of. And even if she hasn't played close to that this season, like, I'm not that... Like, again, junior versus freshman. uh, Yes, Blokina just beat JC Goldsmith, who is as good as any four singles players we've seen in the country this year. But, like, who's to say Blokina doesn't have an off day, as she has had at times throughout the course of this year? Yeah, five is so interesting to me. As is six, like, watching Gina Dittman yesterday, God, was she just good. Like, I haven't watched a full Gina Dittman match because she grinds a little bit more and respectfully on the wrong day like nc state can be ohio state which is when they kill you they kill you and it's just like it's 4-0 and you don't even get to watch more than a set of Dittman. getting to watch more than a set of Dittman yesterday god is she good like i get why she was the choice at six for this nc state team i don't see a definitive weakness does she have the biggest weapons no but like three hours on the clock let's start it between her and Choi. <sighs> I think NC State gets two points on the board for sure. But all everything outside of that, like, again, I am not comfortable picking one way or the other. That's why I have you on the show, Jay, to ask you to have to do it. Do you have an inclination? Do you have a strong feeling 24 hours out? Well, it's tough, right, because NC State goes up 2-0, we believe. And I think every remaining match is either toss-up or lean Stanford. Okay. And so the question is just, can they find four? And the math is not in their favor in that situation. NC State was my preseason pick, right, to win this tournament. So I'm sticking with it, right, that they will 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 win this tournament. If I did not have that over my head, I think Stanford wins this match. Wow. Yeah. They looked that good yesterday. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, this is not a hot take from Jay. We both saw that match. Like, there is no doubt. That is, I just, I haven't seen a Stanford team ever look like that and now just given their track record the pedigree here's the thing though can you ascribe past performances to this Stanford group like have they this group earned that benefit of the doubt probably not but I have eyes and like again I get why you yeah, make but, the pick yeah this group might not but the coaching staff has right and that yeah. plays a huge factor right who's been here in these the environments, right? So Coach Simon Earnshaw has coached one semifinal. He's own one in those semifinals. Lily Farood has been in countless semifinals, sure. and she's won ten NCAA titles. So, yeah, there's there's a coaching element of this here, and yeah, uh, I mean, you just there is a pedigree there, but it's not even about that. Put aside the brand name for a second and just look at the tennis we saw yesterday in the quarterfinal. Stanford looked like the better team. 
I agree. And so with that said, folks, Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern time on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, we will have this match for you. Stanford versus NC State will also have the second NCAA men's semifinal as well. Tons of individual coverage also as we roll on through May Madness. And with all of that said, John J. Parsons, before I let you go, any plugging you have to do? What are you guys up to at No Ad No Problem this week? Gosh, I think we'll we'll preview we'll recap or preview the men's coming soon. Uh, Ethan is in town, so he'll be here on site as well. He'll be very focused on that Virginia match, but yeah, shocked, um, shocked I mean, to hear yeah. Ethan's going to be focused on that. Yeah, um, but you know some good interviews as well. If you haven't checked out the interviews that we've done with Arthur Ferry, Yapa Finova, uh, some of the players we talked about here, uh, Ethan Quinn as well. Um, they'll, they'll all be making deep runs, not only in the team but also in the individuals. So check that those out as well on the No Ad No Problem pod. And then if you're in person again, I'm the guy who looks like he's never seen the sun. I've got the big <laughs> rim hat, you know, a uh, hundred <laughs> SPF on. So you can find me that way. Yeah, forget Jay. Say hello to Mister Parsons. That was the best hug I got on Wednesday. That was <laughs> that was my highlight of the day, no doubt about that. But no, again, it's a pleasure to get to have and see you in person. It's a pleasure to you know again get to see all the people who are here as well so sincerely if you are at this event come say hello to myself and jay i believe we're moving the broadcast booth outdoors today which devastating for my back because god is there just going to be so much sweat uh but much more positive for the interactions we're going to get to have so i'm looking forward to that and again appreciate all you do jay to help our coverage here at Crack Rackets make it that much better. Our name dropped you multiple times on the broadcast yesterday for what it's worth. And uh, again, another person I always name drop is our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f***ing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out to him. A shout out, of course, as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, Jay, for our, I, I got to roll and go do individual broadcasts, so we're not going to do our, our two-minute tangent on pro tennis. But with all that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, it is a mini break. I know I didn't need to remind you, but what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>